listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata. Today we have a really fun interview with someone who has been a listener of the podcast for a while now. I really wanted to have her on the show, but things kept happening. And so it's taken a while for us to get it together for her to be here uh, to talk to you. But we made it happen. And yeah, so today we're having an interview with Tegan. She is currently in the UK, but until a f- about five or six months ago, she was actually living in Japan. And when she moved to Japan, apparently she found the Transformations with Jane podcast not long after she arrived. And apparently it also really helped her with her transition to Japan and feeling less alone. And it was really interesting to hear what that was like for her as someone who had just arrived in, in Japan and who had not a strong previous connection with Japan or it had been studying Japanese for years at school or anything like that. So yeah, that was really refreshing. And also just to share with her that the amazing progress that she she made during that short time that she was here in Japan, because I don't think she realized actually just all of the amazing things that she'd done in that short time. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's hear it from Tegan. Hi, Tegan. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Jane. Yay. So Tegan is a a fan of the podcast and I'm so excited to actually talk to you. This is the first time to actually talk to you in person. Normally we message each other on Instagram, but I got to know you when you started listening to the podcast when you were living in Tokyo and now you're in London, is that right? Yes. So I I was living in Japan. I moved there in 2019 um, in May and came across your podcast um, when I was looking for Japanese podcasts to listen to. Um, and yeah, and then we I think we connected on Instagram not long after. Yeah. So we've been Instagram friends, but we've never never spoken or, or met in real life. Because we've been living in different countries and I think our, our crossover has been very brief. Yeah, it's quite funny because you were actually gave me a lot of advice about living in a Nordic country when I was in Sweden because you've lived in Norway and that was really helpful and vice versa. So it's, yeah, it's kind of funny that you've been able to help each other out with, yeah, where we are in our lives in different countries. So for the listeners, yeah, could you just yeah introduce yourself, tell them, yeah, how did you get to Japan and, and why you're in London now? Um, so I'm Tegan and I'm Australian um, originally uh, from Melbourne and I moved to Japan with my husband and our young son um, who was I think at the time about 22 months or so um, in 2019 for my husband's uh, job. He works for a Japanese company so he went there initially for 12 months thought yep 
it'll be a great big adventure um and if we liked it we could stay longer maybe if we didn't like it then we'll go back to australia but yeah we were only there for a few months um, and my husband's company had a restructure and they moved to sort of the head office to the uk and then they um had a sort of a regional asia hub in hong kong so then we had the option to move either to hong kong or um, london so we've ended up now in london which we moved to in october last year uh during the pandemic that must have been rough having to move countries in the pandemic i speaking from experience here it was not normal at all was it everything was so slow or not yeah, yeah not functioning properly or yeah there was no flights to choose from yeah it's really a stressful time to be doing an international move that's for sure definitely stressful it, it is up there with one of the most stressful things i think an international move is always stressful even with a young family, double stressful. And if you're just moving one person by yourself, but to do it in a pandemic, uh, like the extra things that you need to think about and follow and, yeah, no flights or cancel flights and deadlines and, yeah. Yeah, PCR tests or this quarantines. Yeah. So, yeah, so you came to Japan in 2019 and you arrived there with your family straight off yes. the, the plane. What was it like coming to Japan as someone, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm guessing you didn't have much of a history with Japan before you lived there, right? No. So I'd been to Tokyo and just Tokyo um, about 10 years before um, and I was, you know, liking it and enjoying it, but not thinking, hey, this is a place I want to live or I love it so much. I want to learn all about Japan. So, you know, it, my husband works for a Japanese company, so he'd been quite a lot of times to Japan um, and he loves Japanese food and Japanese culture. And so he had a lot more experience and exposure than I did. But yeah, it, we wanted to live in Asia as a family. We thought it would be a really good experience um, and had thought we'd move to Singapore or Hong Kong. Um, but Japan came up as an option and we just decided to go go for it, essentially. Um, so I left my job in Australia. So I was working full time and I became a stay-at-home parent in Japan, which is was a complete shock for me. Um, and yeah, we moved our yeah son who... He, who only until recently has stopped saying that he's from Japan and he's Japanese um, because, you know, he's basically been raised in Japan and doesn't know much else. He doesn't remember Australia in any any way. And, yeah, it, it was a, a great big family adventure. So, uh, but the first week, yeah, I we lived in a hotel uh, for the first couple of weeks and I just remember thinking, what have I done? This is not a great idea but so many things you know there were times I think oh my goodness but every week got a little bit easier and you know I always think six months is the time frame to really get you know settled in and to feel like you know what you're doing and you know I think it was about month four or five I think I know what I'm doing now I know how this works um and uh, I, I I would walk past this street every like daily and just think, oh, I can't believe this is my life now. Like this is amazing. Uh, what a lucky experience. So I did appreciate the opportunity and, and the time that I did have in Japan. Yeah. So you came to London when we were still in Sweden last year. Yeah. We must have 
you just crossed it for a month or two when you were in the same continent. Yeah, except for when you had your uh, forced repatriation back to Japan. Well, that's true. Year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like last year was just a like for everybody in everywhere it was a surreal year. And it just, I think it was lovely to have an extra six months in Japan, um, but we weren't really traveling a huge amount, we weren't really going out. Um, so we weren't really, I guess, getting the full benefit of living in Japan for the last sort of six months um, that we were there. But we definitely made the first 12 months count. And now we're in London um, and we're, we're just, we're still in lockdown in London um, and restrictions are only starting to ease. So we moved there. And then within a month, we're in lockdown. So we spent we spent what, five months in lockdown in London. Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> no one moves countries to just sit in lockdown and in your house. No. So, but it is, it is what it is. Now it's starting to, yeah, it feels like you need another six months to get used to um, our new home country here. So now that if you're being in lockdown, what was that like? Were you just only able to go out for groceries or something like that? Yeah, so all non-essential shops were closed. Um, so you were allowed to go out for groceries. If you could work from home, you had to work from home. Some of the non-essential shops still included like garden centres. Uh, sorry, essential shops still included garden centres and, and like some sort of like variety shops and things so you could pick up basics and things like that. So yeah, but like gyms were closed, schools were closed, nursery schools remained open, which was lucky. You couldn't um, see people, couldn't see family members unless you're in a, like a COVID safety bubble. But yeah, now things are opening, restaurants are, um, if they've got outdoor space, they're allowed to open. Yeah. So it, and you could get takeaway food and things. So at least restaurants were able to provide and coffee shops and things. So you could go for a walk and get a takeaway coffee. But yeah, it was just a lot of time at home in winter <laughs> so wouldn't say it was amazing but you know it it, it could have been a lot worse yeah well it, <laughs> it's hard it's hard to know yeah you guys were locked down over there in in London and we were generally moving around fairly normally in Sweden we weren't locked down but things were not as usual yeah things were restricted um for example I wasn't allowed to enter my kids school I had to stand out in the playground if I want to talk to the teacher. I had to stand outside and talk to them and, you know, keep two meter distance and all these sort of things. And yeah, no parents are allowed in the school building at all. And all of these kind of things to try and keep things going without having to go into lockdown, which sort of I definitely appreciated. And now we're back in Japan and it's another another different system, isn't it? Like uh, the kids still go to school, but everyone wears a mask all day. And yeah, we're coming into summer again. So that worries me about kids you know, getting heat, heat stroke, et cetera, as it gets, gets hotter over here. Yeah. I mean, I recall last year being in state of emergency and wearing masks in summer um and it was yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's the one thing I probably don't miss about Japan is rainy season and that humidity in Tokyo's concrete playground but yeah I, I appreciate in Japan that everyone is respectful with wearing masks because I wouldn't say that's the case in the UK mm -hmm. people are quite resistant to wearing masks here but it is enforced if you're in a public space. So if you're on public transport or in a supermarket, you, you must wear a mask unless mm -hmm. you've been exempt from a medical reason. Right. Yeah. 
So tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit about what it was like for you arriving in Japan. Well, this was more than 18 months ago, but when you first arrived and as some, you obviously it was, you were fresh, fresh off the plane without having (laughs) studied Japanese or anything before, right? When you arrived in Japan. Like, okay, this will be great. I would like being a stay-at-home parent. I enjoy the mixture of being a parent and working. So that was definitely something I learned from being in Japan. But also found being a parent in Japan really challenging. And I don't know what your experience, because your children are half Japanese, but I just found, I find the expectations for mothers in Japan was just so high. And like everything from the bento lunchbox and to the, how they dressed and how they behaved and everything. Uh, it was just, that was a real culture shock for me. And my son went to a, uh, an international school, so uh, it, it was a small one in Tokyo. And most of the children, I would say 90% of them were Japanese children. Mm-hmm. Um, and their parents were sending them to international school so they could learn English um, from a young age. Uh, so I, I would say like his education was quite Japanese, even though it was an international school and it was conducted in English. His exposure was very much a Japanese experience. Probably not to an extent of going to a Japanese school, though, of course. But, yeah, I just remember just the first couple of weeks was being really, really difficult um, and just thinking, what have I done? Yeah, <laughs> can imagine, yeah. Things got easier and things still proved to be difficult, you know, at different times. But for the most part, like, we were really enjoying our new lives in Japan enjoying having some freedom to explore like it was amazing to have this extra time with my son it's good to be able to go to his this is pre-covid times when I could go into the school grounds and and you know when they did the school performances and things like that I, I previously wouldn't have been able to go to those activities and so it was lovely to be able to have that experience so really grateful for that but yeah I I think it took me about five months to really I guess, uh, come to terms that I, I wasn't working and I didn't have a career at this point. And I found it really difficult to meet other people in Tokyo. In I thought I was going to be making friends with all the school moms, but all the school moms were Japanese moms and they, they all worked, probably to pay for the international school fees. But yeah, it, I, I found it I found it really challenging to meet people. Yeah, I think if if this if you don't have a job and then your kids tend to be if you're you know you're home because of the kids they tend to be the way to a new network. But if that network's not available for some reason, like you said, the mums are all working, then that's really tough, isn't it, to try and build a network of friends with no no place to yeah. go. Yeah. Mm. I think certainly I learned quite a lot of lessons from moving from. Japan to the UK, just implementing all the things I learned then in that move when we then did our second international move as a family. But I think one of the things for me was I I, I just didn't, it took me so long to realize I was actually a stay-at-home parent mentally. Like I knew this is what I was, but I was so used to identifying myself, uh, you know, and I worked in digital and, and corporate communications previously in Australia. And that's what I, you know, was so used to defining myself in my career when I was meeting new people and suddenly it's like oh what do you do I'm a stay-at-home parent and I, I couldn't reconcile that um so you know I wasn't comfortable I, I would say so it, it took me 
yeah, a few months to get comfortable. So I did make some friends in Japan, but I think it's hard making friends um, as an adult. And then the older you get, I find it harder and harder in my experience. But then also I didn't join any mother's group. I just, yeah, because I didn't see myself as, I, I just didn't see myself as a stay-at-home parent. So I didn't join the mother's group. He was such a young age, my son, when we moved, he needed like a lot of attention. Like he couldn't just play by himself for five minutes while I was trying to meet someone and have a conversation. So I just found if if I was with him and I was for the first couple of months, just it was just us two before he started school, like I just found it really hard. So yeah. So that was definitely, you know, I would say it was a huge challenge that resulted from moving to Japan. And then I had to really do quite a bit of work on myself to, I guess, grieve that my career um, and the choice I'd made. And I was happy with the choice, but I think it just took a long time to reconcile those those emotions and then go, all right, well, this is what I am at the moment. What am I going to do with that? And, and then I think I found your podcast really helpful. And a few other podcasts that I was listening to, um, people have had career changes or shifts in their lives. Um, and I just found them really inspirational. And I was like, um, and it kind of just helped me get to a more comfortable position. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. And I can imagine, you know, having had a job back in Australia before you came to Japan, there was you know, a very clearly defined sort of success pattern for you. But then you get to Japan and it's, well, A, life is completely different. B, you've got to figure it out. If the goalposts have completely moved. And so now you are potentially celebrating something like, wow, I went to the supermarket and I managed to find flour to bake something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I made so many grocery mistakes buying what I thought was the right thing. Oh, tell us about your grocery mistakes. We all have a good, I have, I have, <laughs> I still have them. I regularly buy the wrong thing because I don't look carefully enough sometimes. <laughs> it makes me feel better. <laughs> One of my ones is I thought I was buying uh, red kidney beans, but I was buying bean paste. <laughs> um, oh, the sweet bean paste? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Um, and it opens up the, the tin. <laughs> I was making Mexican chili. <laughs> it was oh, not. No. It was not. Um, it was not chili beans. Edible. No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I remember buying what I thought was like mandarin and I was like oh my god these are so cheap I'll buy two bags and you know when you see something fruit in Japan quite cheap you're like yes please um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was like some sort of lemon uh, a type of lemon that was just was it yuzu or something it's like lemon orange tasting sort of thing yeah it was it was yuzu but at the time I didn't know what yuzu was okay I didn't know what it looked like now I'm like a huge fan um and (laughs) I I really miss it don't try and eat like two bags of them though they're not that kind of of thing are they we were really fortunate we had an oven a full-size oven I know it was a, a which is a rarity in Japan. So I had, I was able to do baking. So I made a, a yuzu tart uh, with my excessive um, bags of <laughs> yuzu. Not mandarins. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, some of the things that 
you took for granted in your home country where you can speak the language or um, read the language and you, you just it became such a an exhaustive challenge in in you in Japan just because you don't you don't understand why well, I didn't I can't read Japanese my Japanese has deteriorated what I did learn has deteriorated since we've been in London and um but you know I just I patted myself on the back when I did a good grocery shop and you know I started doing yoga um, at a studio in with Japanese classes and I was the only gaijin woman there oh my goodness wow I, I learned a lot I, like I enjoyed the yoga class but I, I learned more about the language I didn't really get to I guess bond with the other students but you know I always felt really really proud of myself every time I you know completed a class in Japanese and you know it was easier because you can you can see what they're doing so you can follow along in that way but just undertaking these things were small things but were such in in your home country but such a big thing in country where you don't understand it is I mean I had lived in Japan for 15 years before I attempted a yoga class in Japanese so well done that's bloody brilliant well as, thank as you I have to say yeah <laughs> Fantastic. What a challenger you are, as they say in Japan. Such a challenger. Um, I love your grocery mistakes. You want to hear some of my grocery mistakes? Recent ones. This is not that long ago. I do, yeah. Um, I thought we were having curry. No, I thought we were having beef stew for dinner, but it turns out it was curry. <laughs> Everyone was surprised that it was spicy. And I was like, oops, it's not beef stew, it's beef it's curry. Sorry about that. What's another? Oh, I've done quite a few of those recently, just really not looking at things properly and just grabbing stuff and realizing later it was the wrong thing. Do you read Japanese, Jane? Oh, yeah, I can read Japanese. So why was I, you know, just not looking, it's <laughs> not looking properly. <laughs> so that was my, my non excuse. When I was just off the plane, when I could barely read Japanese. I could read some things. I We were trying to make garlic bread one night and we bought these bread rolls from the supermarket, went to, you know, open them up to put the garlic butter in and found it was full of margarine and jam. So we weren't having garlic bread <laughs> after all because it was full of, yeah. And then buying donuts and then thinking, oh, yay, taking them home and then biting into them and they're full of red bean paste. I think the red bean paste secret, like, Surprise red beans is something that everybody experiences in Japan. <laughs> it's something that you yes, you're definitely. bound to to accidentally buy or eat without realizing that yeah, what you were doing. So yes. Yes. All good memories, you know, later on, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, I ha I have to say, like, so the first six months that we were in Tokyo, I mean, we had we we had access to international supermarkets, um, but I was shopping, you know, at a mixture of different supermarkets and things, and and we we're still mainly eating a, a Western diet. I was really really conscious that my son had had a big shift in his life, um, and so I was trying to still make you know the foods that he liked. But my grocery bill was so astronomically high. Like it was just not sustainable to continue. So I started then learning to cook Japanese food and just being more creative and, and just trying really understanding the different ingredients. And uh, like the fact is you can buy such good Japanese food for really, really cheap in Japan. And then 
And our son loves Japanese food. And actually, he loved living in, in Japan. And only recently has he realized that he's not Japanese. Um, and he's like a blonde, blue-eyed boy. So when people go, where are you from? He's like, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and they all in England look at him and go, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he, he, he moved there at such a young age. It, so it's what he knows is he doesn't remember Australia and he, you know, he was just surrounded by Japanese people all the time and he just knows Japan really well. Um, so now only, yeah, only in the last month where he's gone, where you, when I ask, where are you from? He goes, London. I'm like, it's a bit better. <laughs> so it's really opened my eyes that when you have an expat um, life with a family, how you, you introduce, you know, your home country or how do you integrate that into your life so you keep some of the things. And we definitely keep a lot of our Japanese things that we've learned, um, like customs and traditions. We still eat Japanese food, I would say, once a week. Yeah, like homemade because, quite frankly, Japanese food in London is really, really expensive and just not good. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And I find it hilarious because everywhere in the supermarket, they're like, katsu this, katsu that. And I'm like, it's not real katsu though. <laughs> it's just an artificial imitation. So it's kind of like a cinnamon bun. <laughs> it's really, really good in Sweden. Exactly. Just don't bother when you're not there. But, no. <laughs> yeah, that's always been our strategy as well. Do not eat Japanese food outside of Japan. Either make it yourself or go without because you're going to be disappointed and pay a lot of money for it. Yes, definitely. But my son still asks, or coolish for me he wants ice cream I'm like this can't find coolish here whatsoever he he often asked for a lot of the foods that he had in Japan and we brought we brought a few ingredients we brought our bulldog sauce which was another mistake I had originally made thinking it was like HP barbecue sauce and I didn't realize it was like konomiyaki sauce and I I think I sat in my fridge for six months before I was like, let's give this a go again. And I was like, oh, this is delicious. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have it all the time. Um, but yeah, just so many foods that uh, we all miss. So we look forward to when the borders can reopen again. And yeah, we can go back and restock on our, our favorite food. Yeah, fill up your suitcase and bring a load back with you. We definitely, when we were in Sweden, like looking at the bulldog sauce and going, uh oh, it's dropping rapid. Like the, the tide in the bottle is dropping rapidly. Come on, people, save it. When we were lucky in um, Gothenburg in Sweden, <laughs> they do sell this sauce. You can actually go and buy it. But when you're paying three or four times the price you pay for it in Japan, it just feels like you're being sort of ripped off. So, yeah, it yeah. was like gold, that stuff. Yes, I feel you there. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, I, I think when we were talking a few weeks ago on Instagram about grieving for country, we definitely were grieving for Japan and Tokyo. And I think it was hard because we were in lockdown here and we could see um, Japan had relative freedom. Even in state of emergency, things didn't change that much. When we were living in the state of emergency last year there, it, it's hard to, you know, did we make the right choice? But I think we had a really, really good run in Japan and we have such good memories. And it was the right amount of time there, but it's only, I would say, in the last three months that I've gone, yeah, okay, it's okay. That was our time then. Now we're here in London and 
things feel a bit better now that they're starting to open up and um, we can go more further than our local suburb um, and see new things. So, yeah, I think we're okay. We're comfortable that we've left Japan. I mean, my husband still works for the Japanese company um, just in UK and still regularly talks to Japan and Japanese colleagues and things like that. So there's still that connection. That's lovely. And I imagine, you know, when we are able to travel again, that you'll be able to get back over here and you'll be a tourist, but you'll be a tourist with like rocket boosters on. I know. You know how the trains work. <laughs> how things work. That's right. And what the where the good food is, which chain stores to go to for a quick, easy meal when you're hungry or whatever. You'll really be able to enjoy yourself having had that that time living here. I, I really need to like make a pit stop to Daiso and Syria because I definitely miss those stores I just found them the most convenient things to get anything you needed really and so I was thinking where do you where do you go in England and I asked a few people and they're like oh this has this and this is like but no there was nothing with no one store with everything you need right yeah and we miss conveni life because you can run your life through and beanies and and here it's your own private kitchen extension of your yeah. kitchen isn't it and it's just that you can go do print documents print photos um with the lockdown in london we don't have a printer at home um and to go get documents printed there like there's no conveni store to yeah, do I can't that imagine where you'd go right that's a photography store maybe that's not open right <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, so I mean, you know, England has its own. Like, I'm really happy to be able to uh, buy and understand what I'm buying in the supermarket. Be able to read labels, know what the ingredients are in my my food. Being able to, I, I think, participate more so in society just because I am a native English speaker. Whereas Japan, I always I I was there as a guest and. My time was temporary. So as much as, you know, you try to understand the customs, you're not, you're not Japanese and you, I, I was never going to be Japanese, um, no matter even if we lived there, I felt like for 20 years. So I, I, I knew I wasn't part of society completely and, and without the language skills. I, it's really hard to feel that included. Um, so it's nice here that I can to respect. And it's an election day in England for the local mayor elections and I get to vote. So that Oh, really? Just because you're a resident of London? Um, because I'm a Commonwealth citizen. So I, okay. get, I think that's the reason I get to vote. Yeah. Whereas I wouldn't be able to vote in Japan, but I would still I'll be a resident, but I wouldn't be able to participate. So there's lots of great things not being in Japan as well. So that helps, I guess, for me to just appreciate the time that we did have there and then go, yep, that was it. That was a good time. But now we're here. Move forward. Yeah, I guess for you, you were kind of in a holding, kind of kind of in a holding pattern, right? In Japan, you were sort of, you know, the stay-at-home parent, not necessarily able to pursue what you wanted to do and yeah a lot of things you have to well, not put up with but yeah potentially not leading your your best life or it's very tricky to do that but yeah when you are in an english speaking country it just makes this just a whole different level of ease and i really noticed that even just going from japan to sweden where english is used pretty much everywhere 
how much easier it was to do anything, even though I've lived in Germany as well, but you're expected to speak German there. And if you can't, it was kind of too bad. But in Sweden, it's very much expected that people will be able to speak in, in English. And yeah, just the ease of being able to just ring up anybody and have them switch to English and speak to you without any trouble was just really, really nice for a change after 20 years of trying to do it in Japanese. And, and um, you know, even now, like I've been Jane Nakata for uh, 17 years now. Every time I call someone and they say, what's your name? And I'll say Nakata and they'll say Munakata. And I'm like, no, I cannot get the name, my pronunciation of my name right, that people can understand what I'm saying on the telephone. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many more years it's going to take before I can get it. <laughs> and did you, like when you lived in Sweden, before you, like if you're in a restaurant or at a grocery store, before you started speaking, did they automatically assume that you were not Swedish or did they assume you're Swedish and speak to you in Swedish straight away and then switch to English? Or Yeah, no, they assumed I was Swedish. I guess, obviously, I look like I could be a Swedish person. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was at first it was really uncomfortable having to say, oh, I'm sorry, I cannot understand you. Could you please speak English? And then it would be turned into, I'm pretty sure they're saying, would you like a bag or mm. are you a member of the store or something that was generally the kind of conversations I would have. So I would just reply, yeah or nay or whatever, yes or no. And so it kind of got a bit easier. And then I got to the point where I could sort of almost hear some Swedish words that I knew, but, but yeah, people sort of expected that I was Swedish but if they if I was like oh I'm sorry I'm I don't speak Swedish nobody ever said oh well what's what's your problem then you know bugger off home to wherever you're from um they just switched to English and off we went and that was I really appreciated that and to your husband as a Japanese man did they assume he might speak Swedish um yeah actually because a lot of immigrants are sort of assimilated in that they do speak Swedish so yeah. he always sort of said to me why do people expect me to you know where do people sort of assume that I will speak Swedish and I'm like well because a lot of um people from Asia do speak Swedish here have you not noticed that you know so um yeah anyway he the fun thing for us was that people just didn't understand that he belonged to our family. So we would be in a store and they would say to him, excuse me, sir, could you please move away from, you know, because this is Corona, right? And you're supposed to be keeping social distance. And my husband was standing with us in the line in the supermarket or something. And they would be like, um, you know, move away. And I'm like, um, he's with us. <laughs> He's not just some random Asian man who's standing too close to us. That's, um, he actually belongs to our family. So we had a few of those incidents or, at, you know, at the airport going through the checkout. I'm like, me, these two kids and that random Asian man behind us is also with us. You know, he's my husband. So, yeah. Do you have that experience in Japan at all? Never. No. No, I never really experienced it here. It's only when we leave Japan that that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I used to live in Norway in my very yes, young Yes, that's right. You did, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, and Norway has a policy. So if you've immigrated um, there that you have free Norwegian lessons, do they have the same in Sweden? Yes, yes. It's a big thing. Yeah, you can have free free lessons. So there's absolutely no excuse to not study Swedish and 
you know, do your best to learn it and that. And, and I think that's really good that they make it accessible to everyone. Of course, um, if you can afford your own tutor, that's probably better. But yeah, they do have a system for anybody who's immigrated, even people like myself who, you know, we were just there temporarily. We weren't going to be living there forever. They Even I would, was entitled to free lessons for Swedish. So, yeah. And how is your Swedish since coming back to Japan? It's not, it's pretty non-existent. <laughs> Um, I didn't get very far in the first place, unfortunately. And one part of that was because of the English. And that was a sort of a major complaint I did hear from other people who live there that because Swedish people speak English so well, they don't often really want to put up with your terrible Swedish to try and have a conversation with you. So mm. they will speak to you in English because their English is just, you know, pretty much perfect anyway. So yeah, it's it can be hard for people to get a chance to speak Swedish with Swedish people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, there's that. It's the most amazing sounding language though. And, you know, I would only, when I went there, I only knew the Swedish chef, right? Which is, you know, the Muppet show from the 1980s, which is hardly <laughs> an accurate <laughs> depiction of what Swedish is like. Um, no. But yeah, listening to people speaking Swedish, you know, it's actually, it's a really sort of musical sounding language. It's not something you would expect it to be. Um, considering that it's next to Germany, you would think it was a much more harsh sounding language than it is. So I don't know about Norwegian. What's Norwegian sound like? Depends on where you're from in Norway. So north, northern Norway is very, very, very different from southern Norway. And it's very lyrical if you're from the south of Norway. And then the west is very guttural. So probably a bit more aligned with, I would say, Danish. And you can definitely like, you can tell where someone's from um, in Norway by the way they speak. So it was a, yeah, very. It's not a not a huge country, um, and very very different, very different sounding. Um, and they have two languages as well. So they have uh, Nynorsk, which is New Norwegian, and Bokmål. And Bokmål is like the one that's taught in schools. And and I learned. Bokmål mm. and I lived there because at the time I had a Norwegian partner so I learned his accent that he he grew up with so even now when I speak Norwegian I speak regional uh, dialect mm -hmm. it's really interesting just the different shifts and things um, and the different some of the different words that I use depending on where they are and then they have a they call it kebabnosk which is like the immigration immigrant Norwegian so where they're really shifted I, I guess um the Norwegian to adapt to like English and sort of like they have a lot of Turkish people as well in Norway and yeah just uh it's really different mm, that does sound interesting I didn't notice any different sort of well obviously there are different dialects of Swedish as well yeah but I didn't actually get a chance to travel around and hear them all or anything so um yeah but uh, have you seen the Netflix show Norsemen um, I have, yes. There's so many great Swedish TV productions in Norwegian and Danish. So I just, it's really, I would say my Norwegian is not great anymore. I think once you learn a language, it's it's there. Um, but if you're not practicing it daily. Yeah, it's just passive, isn't it? Yeah. But I did find like if I, I'm watching a Norwegian TV show, I'm like, oh yeah, I can still understand this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can I used to be able to understand Swedish, but I can't read it. And I can't understand Danish, but I could read Danish because it's very similar to Norwegian. So 
yeah, I, I find the Nordic languages. I just, I think they're beautiful sounding. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't think they would be, but yeah, they are. Aren't they? <laughs> but um, I, I, I really, people will go, oh, it's a really useless language. And I think it's not though, because there's just so many elements of it that have been adapted. And then you know, they go, well, you can only use it in that one country. And I think, no, you can use it across three of the Nordic countries. I don't, it's very different from Finnish. Oh God, yes. That's just another, <laughs> from another planet, isn't it? Just about, yeah. Amazing how different that is. Uh, yeah. So Norway was the first country I've ever, ever lived abroad in. And I I think, yeah, when you moved to Sweden, I said, oh, you know, I, I had really terrible um, weather sickness uh, when I lived in Norway. And one of the things you have to get used to is the extreme dark winters, um, the lack of light and yeah, to get get one of the sad lamps, they make such a difference to your well-being and health. But uh, I think about my my first living abroad experience and what I learned and how how useful and valuable it's still every time I've moved now. Um, because London's this, this is the second time we've lived in London and I just... It, Everything I learn on every time I've moved abroad has just been a you know huge benefit. Definitely, yeah. And I was so grateful for that advice that you gave me about the the sad lamps and things because we moved there just before at the start of winter, and obviously as just like fresh off the plane, we had no idea what we were in for, and the just the darkness and all of that. And yeah, just getting those those sad lamps. I didn't get one until the end of the winter, but it was I got it sort of just in time when you're really feeling it. You know how February and March can yes. be really rough because it's like, oh, when is spring coming? Come on! And having a alarm clock that wakes you up in the morning with the light coming on gradually that made a huge difference as well because it's just so pitch black even at it sort is. of seven a.m. and you just really struggle to wake up. It is such a big difference. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I had no idea. Coming from the southern hemisphere, you just you just don't know. I know they're Western countries, but Norway's and, and the Nordics are so different from Australia. And I had terrible culture shock in Norway when I lived there. Um, and I thought I wasn't expecting it because I. Had, had a Norwegian partner. I spoke the language. I'd been living in with a lot of Norwegians, so it was the main language at home. And I just thought I knew everything. I knew nothing really. But uh, yeah, it, I, I think how different how different things would be if I hadn't, you know, I had that first experience living there. And I only lived there for um, six months. Um, and then it took me when I went back to Australia 12 months to reintegrate back into Australia really I always find like re repatriation harder mm. than, yeah I, I, have you not had that experience before well I've never gone back to live in my own country as such uh, as in yeah. going back to New Zealand and but yeah coming back to Japan after being in Sweden yeah being only in Sweden for a year and a bit in total and coming back to Japan for nearly two months of the time we were there and all of this, I was surprised at just how long it took me to feel, oh, I'm actually in Japan again. And um, yeah, this is how things go. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it took easily as long to repatriate myself. Well, not repatriate, but to to transition back um, as it did to transition to Sweden in the first place. You know, the first six months are just a nightmare trying to get everything sorted and, and all of that. Um, everything's new, 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 new. 
And then you hit like the six months, you're like, ah, finally, (laughs) I'm kind of, even if I don't know what's going on, at least I've got all my ducks in a row kind of, you know, I've got a phone, I've got a bank account, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a a sort of a normal human being now in this, in this country. Yeah. And then trying to get yourself back to the country where you were before, you're not the same person anymore either, because everything that, you know, going through an international move definitely changes you and your outlook on things. And I would have thought that actually moving to Sweden would have been harder than it was. And I don't know if it's because there are so many things that are similar about Sweden and Japan, you know, the way that people are. Nature. Yeah. Like, uh, well, yeah, there's that. They're just the, um, I don't know. And it's it's similar. It's European as in it's like Germany. So I understood how people live there. And that's very similar to Sweden, but just more comfortable and more relaxed and, and you know, less sort of, I don't want to use the word uptight, but... <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more relaxed, yeah. Yeah. Um, in general, just less formalities, and you don't have to worry that you forgot to call your 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 teacher Frau so and so. You know, it's all right if you call someone by their first name. All these things, you know, that was a lot easier than I expected. So yeah, it surprised me too that it was coming back was so hard. But I think it was more having that that really amazing experience taken away sooner than I had. To, anticipated that was part of the part of the the difficulty yeah I wasn't ready to leave you you don't have that freedom of choice sometimes to just stay or yeah yeah and we certainly have felt that going to Japan last year um and because my because of COVID um our getting our visas took a really long time to come to the UK and my husband had to start his new job role um while he was in japan so he was working uk hours but while in tokyo from home so he effectively had left the japanese company in japan and moved to the japanese company in the uk and you know with japanese visas and things you know if you when it was a sponsored visa with the company you have to start memory I think it's two months you have two months to start a new employment otherwise you need to leave the country and that was hanging over our head because it was just our visas were taking a long time to get to the UK and yeah it was really we were there then on illegal visas I think Japan was very quite nice about it um, because we did speak to immigration about uh, our situation but then we would have had to have gone back to our own home country because then the advice was, well, as soon as you can, you need to go back to your, um, you need to leave. And so if we didn't, like we were really pushing it um, at the six month mark when we did get our visas. And then you have to find flights, right? And flights are being cancelled and all sorts of things. Yeah, it was really stressful. And it was. I just remember thinking, oh, well, if we were here and not, as a company sponsored, like, would it be easier or like we would have more freedom or to make decisions and choices? It was, yeah, really tricky. But but then you have other things that were a luxury of like we, we as part of our package, they paid for our accommodation. So we were able to live in a nice area that we would never be able to afford on our own, things like that. So it's a definite trade-off, but you do sort of sacrifice um, and, and put your hands in that with the company. Exactly. Yes, uh, that's the thing. Same thing I re- realized that, yeah, it looks lovely from the outside, doesn't it? You know, you get to live somewhere nice and you don't necessarily have to find the money to pay for, you know, apartments and things. But yeah, you are putting your 
your destiny in, in somebody else's hands almost, uh, in a company's hands, and just have to hope that it works out. But, yeah, I think these things, they generally all do work out. Perhaps we can't understand right now why or how, but eventually they do all work out. Well, I'm trusting in that at least, yeah. <laughs> I remember you saying in one of your podcast episodes about trusting just things are meant to be the way they're meant to be. So even though it might not seem like it at the time, trusting that it is what it is meant to be. And I, I do remember taking that sort of, I, I guess, advice on board um, at a particular difficult period in Japan. Um, and it was probably during a wet season, to be honest, because I found that just a miserable, sad time the first time round. And it was just, it it really made, like, it, it made a big difference in in the way I thought about things and in my mental shift. So I I, I do take a lot of the things you've said on board, um, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think in some ways because this is the second time we've lived in London, and the first time around I I came here as like a young single person. Um, and and I met my husband here, and um, so it was sort of like a homecoming, coming back to the place where we first initially met. Um, and it's it's really funny. People go, oh, well, you know London, you've li- lived there before. But actually, we hadn't lived here for 10 years, and it's a pandemic now, and things have changed, and we're going through Brexit at the moment, and like, it's so different. And I, I think there's a lot of assumptions from people from externals like from and like from family and friends meet well-meaning that you know oh it'll be okay because you've you know that place or you can speak the language but it's not it's it's really hard yeah it is hard isn't it and now you're worried about nap times instead of happy hours those sorts <laughs> of things right this time around with the family in tow as well so like one of the things i i use the tokyo chapters blog so much um in Japan and you know one of the things her tips was always like lunch sets were always the best things you can go as a family it was much easier to eat out with there was often cheaper so you could all go to quite a nice place and have a lovely meal in Japan at lunchtime but you would definitely not go there at nighttime with children and I apply that now here in the UK it's just much easier when we can go out to eat go at lunchtime and not not worry yeah, shout out to the Tokyo chapter, to Joe, always bringing loads of amazing advice to, yeah, all of the ex- expats and, well, just people in general in Japan, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't have had the experience I think I had in Japan without her blog, for sure. Like, she just gives away so much information and tips and her mistakes she shares with everyone so that others don't make the same mistakes and oh yeah I just wish there was like a a version of the Tokyo chapter in London with that amount of detail there you go yep there you go Joe if you're listening I hope you are (laughs) yeah come to the London and and start a a London chapter Yeah, franchise that yes (laughs) or something (laughs) the London chapter well, that's exciting. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. It's been so lovely to talk to you finally, Tegan. And it's been fun to have this podcast episode as a way to actually talk to you in real life, right? You know, as much as we can. Yeah, that would never have happened otherwise. I know. It's great. Thank you for inviting me. And yeah, I'm so glad we finally, because it's been, I want to say maybe a year and a half since we first sort of initially started talking about going on the podcast something like that yeah finally made it made a time to make it work and yeah thank you for having me 
Yeah, and I wish you all the best of luck with this, all the transitions that you're still going through over there in the UK. And hopefully one day soon you'll, you'll wake up one day and go, ah, everything's as it should be or, or whatever it is. You know, you're feeling, feeling at home and, and happy where you are. And I'm sure I'll wake up like that soon too. <laughs> one day soon. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. No, no, actually, I'm, I'm just about there, actually. Yeah, just about there. As long as this rainy season doesn't come and then I'll be back into, oh, why do I live in Japan? <laughs> is rainy season terrible in Fukushima or is it okay? Or yeah, It's terrible, you know, but I guess it's probably better than Tokyo because we have, you know, green and we have breezes and things yeah. like that you don't have in Tokyo. And yeah, nature to sort of absorb some of that moisture and all of that as well. So um, I, I guess I can't really compare it to Tokyo, but yeah, Tokyo is definitely not somewhere I would want to be in the rainy season. That's for sure. No, uh, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I did find the second time round of rainy season better. Like I, I was better prepared. I knew what to expect. But yeah, I think uh, Tokyo is not the place for rainy season. It'd be much better to be somewhere on the coast. And your first time is always the roughest. You just don't know what you're you're in for and how to deal with it. Yeah, that's for sure. No. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, there's no hopefully no rainy season in London, right? So you'll be should be all right this year. Oh, not so much rainy season, but it does rain a lot, and that's the thing that you've had I've had to adjust here is every person you speak to. Let's talk about the weather. Um, so that's a, definitely a custom I've taken up. <laughs> um, and you get multiple seasons in one day. So we've just had some epic, epic wind and storms. But it is sunny today. It is cold. But, it, you know, as long as it's sunny, I, I think it, it makes a big difference. It does. You have to adopt that Norwegian Nordic, no such thing as bad weather and any inappropriate clothing. Get out there. And I read somewhere that, like, even on a cloudy day, there's so much more light in the sunlight on a cloudy day than there is inside a house with all the lights on. So even if you do go outside and it's not sunny or it's raining, it's still better for you than being inside, which is why you always see Swedish people outside. <laughs> yeah. If, it, if it's sunny and you're inside, you're it's abnormal in, in Norway and Sweden. So I think it, it's something you take for granted coming from the southern hemisphere that you yeah so it's definitely something i've adapted living in norway living in japan because as soon as it stopped raining in japan i was outside but yeah and same here in the uk exactly yeah cross your fingers yeah <laughs> that's what you can do <laughs> thank you again jane it was lovely talking to you tegan and all the best for yeah for your for your life in the uk keep in touch i will do thank you <laughs> Bye. Bye. So that was the interview with Tegan. I hope you enjoyed hearing from her. We had a little bit of a technical trouble at some point during the interview. It was on my side, unfortunately. My Wi-Fi just decided not to function at the exact moment when we were starting to record. So anyway, I hope that didn't disrupt the interview too much. But it was lovely to hear from her and how it's been for her you know, transitioning during the pandemic, but also you know, just some of the funny things that happen when you move to a new country, like going to the supermarket and buying something and it turns out to be not quite what you were expecting, like she mentioned with the beans. And I think almost every foreigner who's moved to Japan has had a run-in with 
uh, sweet bean paste, <clears throat> excuse me, being in somewhere that you weren't expecting it. Yeah, I've had the whole buying a packet of donuts and then biting into a donut and thinking, yeah, yummy donut. And in the middle was huge chunks of of azuki bean paste, so not what I was expecting and not what I wanted to eat at all. So it's good to know that, you know, you're not the only one who has made these mistakes or done these things. You're in, and even now I still sometimes make mistakes if I'm not looking carefully at things. I have to spend a little bit more time reading <laughs> the labels on things, I think, instead of just grabbing things. But it does get easier, that's for sure. And perhaps the mistakes um, become fewer as you stay here longer and longer. But I was so impressed how she mentioned that she went to a a yoga class, yeah, and did yoga class in Japanese. And I was just thinking, wow, it, it was only only about five years ago that I would have had the confidence to, to go and try something like that. So well done, Tegan, for making the most of what you could in Japan. And I really hope that your life in the UK uh, starts to become more normal now as we go through this pandemic, and hopefully you're coming out the other side of it over there. So please give a shout out to Tegan on um, Instagram in particular. She's there at konnichiwa underscore Mr. underscore Fox, I think it is. Go over and say hi and say how much you enjoyed listening to her. She would be just delighted to hear from you, I'm sure. So thank you so much for listening. We have more wonderful women coming for you again next week. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. 